Welcome to Safe Dividend Investing. My name is Ian McDonald. This is podcast number 45 on January the 5th, 2022. Tonight, I'm going to be reading from correspondence that I received from a reader of my books, which I found interesting and I think raises a number of questions that probably you may be considered in if you are saving money with the idea that in a few years you're going to be retiring. Some readers who have bought my books forward questions to me at imacd at informus.ca. I do not mind receiving them because it often gives me insight into the issues I should address in my next book to make it easier for them to build strong dividend portfolios. The following is an exchange between myself and Paul, which I thought was worth sharing and would give some direction to those who are a few years away from retirement. He writes, Hi, Ian. Happy New Year. Now that I've reorganized our portfolios and purchased the 20 stocks of my choice, I'm wondering about a few things that you may be able to provide some insight. I'm wondering what your criteria is for selling a stocks. If a stock declines, as they all will at some point, is there a maximum percentage that you use or do you review fundamentals and only sell a stock that's declined if it no longer scores over 50? I don't need the income from the dividends for three or four years. During that time, would you consider simply reinvesting the dividends or would you build up a cash position? My thought is that I've chosen companies I want to stick with for the long term, that reinvesting the dividends to increase the number of shares I own is the best approach. How frequently do you rescore your stocks? Once a year? Your thoughts would be appreciated. Thank you, Paul. Here is my response to Paul. Hi, Paul. My thoughts. You've bought financially strong stocks paying high dividends. I assume you've looked back at a decade or more and seen their share prices going up with their increased dividend payments. The last thing you want to do is sell these stocks. I can go for a year without selling a stock. I sold one in December whose dividend percent had dropped to 2.5% from 6.5%. Why did I sell it? Because the share price went from about $2.50 a share to about $25 a share. I now had an asset worth close to $50,000 that was generating about one-third the dividend money I could make by reinvesting that cash in other stocks that I already owned. As share prices go up, I expect dividend payments to also go up. I am primarily in for the dividend revenue, not the secondary objective of the capital gain. When the dividend payments do not increase, I see an opportunity to reduce the number of stocks I am managing and generate more income. There are a few stocks that I rarely score. For example, large financially strong banks that have tripled in value since I've owned them. There are some stocks that I may score every few months because while their dividend percent may be over 5%, their score may have slipped into the 40s. 
I would probably have bought them in the 50s. I want to keep an eye on them. I want to see how analysts are rating them and whether their operating margin or book value has remained steady, increased, or decreased. I spent decades building commercial risk scoring systems to warn banks and suppliers which of 2,200,000 businesses were heading for a potential bad debt write-off. Very few of these companies were ever traded on stock exchanges where financial information was instantly available. There was no financial information. I had to rely on other indicators. For example, payments to suppliers, legal filings in courthouses, accounts placed for collection, years in business, and so on. Believe me, I know what a company in trouble looks like. Companies with financial problems don't pay dividends because they do not have profits to pay them from. The strong companies you have purchased are the cream of the crop. Experienced executives with decades of experience are doing nothing but think about how to improve sales and profits over the previous year. They are not suddenly going to turn into disasters where you could see losing all you have invested. You may see their share price drop by 50% in a market crash, but this will not impact their profits or dividend payouts. Their operating margins and book values will remain steady. If you saw their book values dropping drastically and their operating margins dropping significantly, you might want to consider selling them, but you are not a speculative investor buying low and selling high. Your objective is dividend income. Cutting or shrinking dividends could be a warning signal depending on the circumstances. During the 2020 pandemic, I had stock in a chain of pizza restaurants paying an 8% dividend. They stopped paying their dividend when COVID restrictions forced them to close for a few months. By closing, they were allowed to take advantage of government grants. I could have sold the shares, but their operating margin and book values were high. My thinking was that in tough situations like that, it made sense for a pizza restaurant to stop its dividend. This pause lasted a few months. Their share price recovered quickly. The monthly high dividend resumed. The stock is now up about 20%. Before I retired, there were four to five years where I did nothing but reinvest all the dividend payouts every month. I did not need the money, just like you. This money was invested back into the good stocks I already owned and my portfolio. Of course, it grew the portfolio faster. Most of the growth in my portfolio at that time was in a tax-free retirement account. When I turned 71, I had to start taking out 5 to 6% of the capital in that account. Since I was generating more than 6% in dividend income in that account, I just saved the money all year and extracted it at the beginning of the new year. Since the amount is far more than I need to live on and keep me happy, it gets invested into my main trading account, which generates the dividends that I live on. Both the tax-free account and the main trading account 
keep growing despite my taking cash out of the tax-free account each year. Between my wife's account, which I manage for her and is about a third less than mine, and my own accounts, there are 33 different companies. Out of these 33, there is only one whose share price is less than what I paid for it. It is down about $3,000. I've owned some of these 33 stocks for almost 20 years. They will probably be sold by my heirs. Why have I not sold this one loser? It scores well, has buy recommendations, the dividend is over 7%, its operating margin is high, and so on. Although I have lost money yet, I've just bought another $20,000 worth of shares in it because the numbers say that it is strong, pays a good dividend. I expect that its share price will increase. Of all my stocks, to me it looks like the biggest bargain I own. What is the worst that can happen? The share price might not grow. However, the high dividends indicate that they will be paid for many years in the future based on its history. Share prices never move in a straight line because thousands of optimistic and pessimistic speculators are bidding against each other. The share price does not impact profits, but the profits do influence speculators. I am not sure why you think share prices must go down. They may for a short time, but look at the big picture. Decades, not years or months. I look at TD Bank traded on the New York Stock Exchange. You will see ever-rising share prices and dividends for over 100 years. While the typical big bank may only be paying a 3.5% dividend, you can easily see that over the last 20 years, that while the 3.5% that may have paid $1,000 in dividends 10 years ago, that 3.5% is now paying out $3,000 for the same number of shares. Time is your friend. Let your portfolio do its thing. You will eventually get confidence in your portfolio and stop worrying about every twitch taking place in it. Ian. The following is Paul's response to my reply. Hi Ian, I've only ever had the stock price as the metric to pay attention to. Shifting to a dividend focus is new for me. I've never had a mentor who was really looking out for my best interests with a working plan they were actually living. All of the financial advisors I've ever worked with, despite what they said to me, only had their own interests in mind. You've provided insights and guidance based on what you've actually done. I have never met anyone before who was willing to share like you have. That's worlds apart from any experience I've ever had with financial advisors. It's taken me a while to understand this way of looking at investments and adjust my thinking. For almost four decades of my professional life, the dozen or so financial advisors I've been exposed to have all played the same message. It goes like this. Put 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds 
when you turn 65, put 60% in bonds and 40% in stocks. We'll manage that for you and put it all in safe mutual funds because we know best. When you retire, you'll have your Social Security and you'll sell 4% of your portfolio each year to live on. Hopefully, you won't outlast that. I find their attitudes repulsive, so I've been going at it alone. My investment strategy has been to simply find the stocks that will grow the most so that when I retire, my portfolio will be big enough so that I won't outlive my 4% per year. Then along comes Ian, who says, wait a minute, invest in dividend-paying stocks. You can withdraw 5%, 6%, maybe even 7% a year to live on. Oh, and by the way, you won't be selling any of your portfolio. It will continue to grow. This is one of those aha moments for me, something that's clearly been readily available, but it's not what the experts talk about or tried to sell me on. The entire concept still has a bit of voodoo, and I can't really believe it. For me, it's like winning the lottery. The investments I've been making up until now have not been beneficial for my wife and I. Our new portfolio is thanks to you. When I was doing my dividend research, I was seeing that these strong companies did not suspend or reduce their dividends during the 2008 recession or the 2020 recession when the COVID pandemic hit. Many of them had their share prices reduced 30%, 50%. Yet what was puzzling to me was that many of them actually raised their dividends during these times. Now I understand why. With your comments and suggestions, I'm finally understanding that the stock share price is only loosely coupled to the company's dividends. They are not directly correlated. Higher is better, but it is not the primary driver. In fact, it likes like the best time to purchase shares in these companies is when their share price is temporarily artificially depressed. With your one loser, it's only a loser if you sell it, right? As long as the company is strong and keeps paying their dividend, you want to keep it. Which to me says that the additional $20,000 of shares were purchased are at a bargain price. I did choose companies who have long histories of increasing earnings, paying dividends for decades and steadily increasing the dividend. The average score from my 20 is 64, with only two in the 50s. Your life experience put you in a position to be able to keenly observe these inner financial workings of companies and take away the insights that matter the most. Now I see the attributes you monitor. I see how you gauge your holdings and how you adjust to capitalize for maximum value to you. My wife and I will be in a very similar situation to yours with the majority of our portfolio and our tax-free accounts where we will have to start 
withdrawing the required minimum distribution when we turn 72. By that time, with this new roadmap, we should be in a similar situation as you are. We'll have more than we need and be able to put the excess into growing our main trading account. I do have questions based on what you shared. You have 33 holdings, not 20. Seems like it may be a better spread of any risk. How do you allocate the percentages of your portfolio between all of them? Are they all equal? Is your wife's portfolio a mirror of yours? Or do both of yours together make up the entire portfolio? Paul. The following is my reply to Paul's second message. Hi Paul, to answer your further questions. I always tell people to only invest in 20 stocks because most people have a hard time finding the motivation to select and monitor 10 stocks, never mind 20 stocks. I worry that they will get bored and frustrated having to work with too many stocks. I thought it necessary to promote an arbitrary limit on how many stocks to invest in just to put a check on the dilution of their portfolios. The choice of good stocks to invest in is limited. It does take some effort and time to personally select the best. Most speculators would rather buy a stock based on tip or a rumor than spend a few minutes finding and analyzing stocks they are thinking of buying. If you invest equally in 20 stocks, you're risking only 5% of your original investment. I know if you have carefully selected financially strong stocks, then only one or two will stop paying dividends in a recession. However, I also know that rising dividend payouts and rising share prices will quickly erase any deviant behavior by those one or two. The 20 minimizes the possibility of noticeable losses in the total portfolio. Unfortunately, you never know in advance which of the 20 stocks is going to be that one or two. Although my objective is to have an equal amount invested in each stock, the reality is that while only one stock of the 33 is below what I paid for it, some are now triple the value of what I first paid for them. I continually invest, try to equalize the value of all my stocks. My objective is to reduce the number of stocks in our portfolio to the 20 best, not to increase the numbers. When I do my reviews of all stocks a couple of times a year, the 33 now take too much time. I would like to get it down. My wife and I are two different people. Not only do we have separate investment accounts, but separate checking accounts. Oddly, we have never had disagreements about how money was spent. We have each assumed responsibility for different payments. We met in school 58 years ago. and all those years, we've worked as a team. I rely on her strengths that she has that I do not have. She was from a well-to-do family. I was a minor's son who worked his way through university. She has little interest in investing. She is more of a people person than a number person. My initial investment book was written for her to use as a guide if something were to happen to me. 
She has edited all my books and can probably do a better job than me managing the portfolios, if she had to. I was a senior executive in several large companies that dealt with commercial risk. I understand businesses because studying them was part of my job for 38 years. Before I started investing 20 years ago, my wife was investing with minimal growth through an investment advisor. As you know, I lost $300,000 with the advisor I was using at that time. Once I figured out how to invest well with little risk, we got rid of the advisors and I took over the management of her portfolio as well as my own. Before I bought or sold any of her investments, I sat down and still do now and explain in detail why I thought it was necessary to sell the stock and why I had chosen the stock I did to replace it. Only when she agrees with my thinking do I make changes to her portfolio. Since I rarely make a change, this occurs only once or twice a year. So far, she has never disagreed with my recommendations. The result has been that in some cases, we are invested in the same stocks. In my mind, they're all in one big portfolio of strong stocks. She has very little in tax-free accounts where two-thirds of my portfolio is in tax-free accounts. Our accountant files our joint income tax returns, which greatly minimizes the income tax we pay. Although our joint incomes are about what I used to make as an executive, the income tax we pay is about one quarter of what I used to pay. This leaves us with far more cash in our pockets than when I was working, and it keeps on growing. We also jointly own two properties which are worth about as much as our stock portfolios. They are growing by 15 to 20% a year. The property we live in was bought in 1978 and is now worth about 20 times more than what we paid for it. My wife, three children, and a mother-in-law live comfortably in this large house. Now, there's just the two of us. We will move into a condominium in the next few years and add the financial difference to our portfolios. I think having significant money invested in real estate is another way of spreading your financial risk. Obviously, I've been disappointed by all the financial advisors that I've come in contact with. Most of them mouth the same thoughtless mantra about retirement investing that you repeated in your email. Few advisors have run businesses or seem to understand how to safely and successfully invest. The ones I've met behave like the greedy commission salesmen that once worked for me. It seems they will say and do anything that will put money in their pockets and the corporations that employ them. I've often wondered if they really understood investing. Why would they not be living off their investments like me instead of working as investment advisors? My passion is to expose every investor to my investment strategies. Most investors are now blind to the reality of a steady, safe, growing income and portfolio. Making them aware of my books, videos, podcasts, and stock scoring software is my objective, Ian.
Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website, www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com. Thank you.